Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. To get anything from God, you got to open your heart. I, it used to really puzzle me in, in Exodus, it would talk about God was going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. And I thought, you know, that's just... That just struck me. I, I, as, even as a kid, I don't know about you, but I was a fighter. I got in more fights. I finally, as the older I got, the less fights I got because I realized there was a price to pay for fighting. And I didn't like paying the price when I got older. But when I was little, I didn't care. I was just like a windmill. I, somebody, you know, messed with me. I went off. And my dad and mom used to talk about, I was think I was two or three and all the big kids would go to school, and I'd sit out in front of our apartment in the dirt and make little towns and little roads with my cars, and the big guys would come home from school, and they'd walk through my town, and I'd just pick a fight with a dozen at a time. You ruined my metropolis, I'm going after you. Well, you know, I, I, I would think of that, and, and, and the reason I bring that up is I had this, this, always have had this sense of rooting for the underdog. If I saw somebody getting picked on, Saw somebody getting bullied. I didn't care if I'd take a whipping. I'm going to stick up for him. I'm going to jump right in there, and if I have to fight you, I have to fight you. But you're not going to pick on my friend, and you're not even going to pick on somebody, you know, that's not my friend. But so when I read that about God hardening the heart of Pharaoh, I thought, that's just not fair. And I went to the Lord about it. I said, I, you know, I'm reading this on the surface, and I know you are a fair God, but this just... I'm just a little bothered by it, Lord. It's, you know, I learned not to fight with him, but I also learned you need to ask him. And the illustration, and, and it just came by, I, somebody used it one time, and it was like, well, duh. And their illustration was, you can take, and, and in, in the Egyptian times, when the, the Jews were supposed to make brick, they took clay. They put water in it. They put a little bit of straw so it wouldn't crack and they would pound all the air out of it and set it out in the sun, and they would bake it. And that hot sun would bake that clay hard into a brick that you could build houses with. You could set that same, or in that same sun, you could set out a block of wax, and that same sun would melt the wax. wasn't the sun's fault, the results you got. The results you got was determined by the, the condition of what the sun was beating on. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened because Pharaoh, the condition of Pharaoh's heart. When God turned up the heat, Pharaoh kept pulling farther and farther and farther back, and the farther he pulled back, the more hard his heart got. When, when God turned up the heat on Moses, Moses drew near to God, and it softened Moses' heart, and he heard God. Moses could have been hardened just as easily as Pharaoh was. It was his reaction to God turning the heat up. Well, we're in the same way. Let me, let me go back here. We started last week. This is the question. What is my vision for 2016? And I don't mean that in the case of me, because I do have a vision for my 2016. I want you to personalize it. What is your vision for 2016? And we use as our, our base scripture, Isaiah 43, 18, and 19. Do, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing, nor or now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God is telling us very plainly here. Paul says the same things in the... Uh, ex exactly the same thing in the epistles. He said, I forget those things that lie behind. I don't care about my past. I just want to strive and reach towards the high mark of the calling of Christ Jesus. God said here in Isaiah, forget about things of old. That The word there, don't remember, don't consider, it means don't put a mark on it. Now, I said this last week and I want to reiterate this. Life will mark you. Nietzsche said, what doesn't kill you strengthens you. 
And I've said it before, and I will insult Nietzsche every chance I get, because he's an idiot. Life can scar you. It can beat you down. It can cripple you. I have met so many emotional cripples. They cannot deal with the issues of life because they had a life event, and it crippled them. And we have a term for it. It's called PTSD. You have an event. Usually you hear that always associated with soldiers in combat. And I'll guarantee you, if you face combat, it'll mark you. And I know some guys. I have, we had a neighbor, Gina and I did, for 20 years. Uh, he and his wife had never slept in the same bed. Because if she rolled over and touched him, he, you touch him, you wake him up, you woke him up from across the room. Because when, when he woke up, he usually woke up in a panic. And if you touched him and woke him up, he'd come out and he would just beat the tar out of you before he realized he was awake. Because he got that, that alert in Vietnam in combat and he never got past that part in his life. Well, there are events that can mark you and do mark you. Let's face it, life events change you. That's why you're not the same today as you were 20 years ago. Hopefully... You've learned some things. When you run into a brick wall enough times, you finally realize, you know, I either need to move the wall or go around the wall or go over the wall. I need to do something, but I need to quit running into it because that hurts. Well, we can, we can be marked, but we don't have to let those events define us. They don't have to say, this is who you are, and this is how you react. And, but, but I will tell you, to get past that, you have to face that event, and you have to face the things that, that remind you of that event and get past the emotions because that's what it is. It's the emotions that are connected with that event. And this is something that psychologists will tell you. Um, your most vivid memories will be memories of things that you had a strong emotion when that event happened. And you can, and you will remember, a lot of times you can remember the, the odors of, of the room or wherever you were. You can remember things of, of, of vividly when there's a strong emotion, be it good, be it negative. But if you relive that, uh, that uh, event, you can get past the emotions. And I'll give you, a, it's a silly example, but it's a, it's a, it's a it happened for me, uh, Gina and I went to see Saving Private Ryan when it was, you know, brand new at the theaters. Well, I didn't, I'm not, I'm a post-World War II baby. I'm a baby boomer, 51. But um, there's a scene in there where the chaplain and a, a captain, an officer, are coming to the farm to tell this lady that four of her sons have died. Well, when, when in, in my mind's eye, that it's a rural setting. I grew up in a rural setting. wasn't my mom that was home, but I remember the day we got the phone call. And it was somebody in town said, Ray, just want to let you know there's a military car coming to your house. Brace yourself. And I remember that Army car. This was when they, they drove. They didn't have a standard car with the U.S. government plate. They had a green car. And it drove up our driveway, and those two guys came out, and they walked up and told my dad, your son is dead. And I'm tearing up now. Why? A lot of emotion connected with that event. I just lost a brother. <clears throat> we watched Saving Private Ryan. I came out of that place. My shirt was soaking wet. I literally, people are turning around looking at me. What in God's name is wrong? I mean, I'm not tearing. I'm blubbering. I got snot coming out of my nose. I am weeping uncontrollably. I cannot control what's going on. Today, I've watched that movie. It's a war movie. You know, I'm a guy. I love war movies. I've probably watched it 20 times. I can watch that movie now, no emotion connected to it. Why? Because I dealt with it. It made me go back and relive that. Now, that scene still, I don't, I just kind of turn away. I don't really want to go back and re, but, but reliving that, was good for me. It gave me a chance to vent some of those emotions. I didn't, and to be honest with you, I was as surprised as anybody. Gina was looking at me like, are you, are you okay? And it's like, 
are you kidding me? Do I look okay? <clears throat> but it, it vented something that was in me that I didn't even realize was still there. I mean, I'd, I'd gotten past that, you know. This was, and, and I'm talking 25 years after that event. But it had marked me, but it doesn't define me. That's not, just because I get emotional about that event does not mean that I, that's, when I think of me, I think of, well, I'm the guy who lost his brother in war. Now, I, I, I have Gold Star family license plates on my car to honor my brother, and I proudly honor him. But it's not how when I'm, when, in fact, I've had people that I've shared that with after I've known them for a while, and it's like, I would have never known, known that happened to you. It's like, good, good. That's exactly, I want it to be, have had an influence on me, but I don't want it to define who I am and how I react to my everyday life. That's what the Lord is saying right here. He said, I am going to do a new thing. Your past is dead. It's gone. It's like opening up, and, and I realize <laughs> you don't have the boxes of pictures anymore. Well, we do. If you're, if you're old enough, you still got a closet somewhere that's got, you know, a gazillion pictures, usually in duplicate, because you may want to give one away. Sometimes if they're good ones, they're in triplicate. But, you know, today, you go, if you want to remember something, you've got a um, smartphone, and you can hit it, if you know how to work a smartphone, and it pulls up a picture, and you can sit and go through pictures. I mean, I didn't even know, I, I delete most of the pictures off my phone. I put them over somewhere else because I don't want, and I found the other day there was this thing here, and it's, I've got 226 pictures still on here, and I thought I'd deleted all of them. Well, th those pictures, I want them. I took them for a reason. Most probably 200 of them are of my grandkids. I keep them somewhere because I may want to go look back at them. But they're fun to look at because they represent some memories of how my grandkids used to be. But that's not my grandkids in that phone. That phone can't hug me. Those pictures can't hug me. I can't interact with that. Even the videos in there, I can't interact with them. They're dead. They're gone. They don't. That is part of my past. God is doing a new thing. If I want to, to do some of my grandkids now, I want to go be with them. I want them in the room. I want to be able to pick them up and hug them and talk to them and interact with them. That's now. All of the events of our life need to be the same way. He said here, verse 19, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. And we, we went into that. The spring forth there means it's, going, it's like a seed that's going to sprout. God's doing things in your heart right now, looking forward to this year. And, and be honest with you, this sermon, you could preach it any time. We need to occasionally have a marker. Birthdays are a great time. What do I want to do with my next year? First of the year is always a great time to do it. You know, businesses do it. You get to the end of your fiscal year. What are we planning for the next year? What are our milestones? What's our, what are our goals? What do we want to do in sales? What do we want to do in this? We need to do this before the Lord. Lord, what do you, what do you want out of me? We just sang it, you know, uh, uh, the verse that the pastor Chuck had him put back up there. Lord, I want to live for you, but how do I do that? We are his sheep. We do hear his voice. But if you don't ask him... Will he tell you? But he, he wants to spring forth. He says, shall you not know it? When he, when he bring, plants that seed in your life and gives you a vision that something's coming in your life, you're going to know that there's something that's been planted in that. I've, used, I've told the story on, on myself. After I had, you know, the, probably the worst year of my life, my, my daughter had died my mother had died, the, that was April, December, I came home to an empty house, February, my mom died, March, I'm sitting on a bed, how am I going to kill myself because I'm done, don't want to live anymore. And God showed up in my bedroom and said, if you will just hang on a while, it will get better. 
And then he's put a little seed of hope down in my heart. And I mean, my life changed that fast. It was instantaneous. One second I had no hope, the next second I had hope. That seed of hope changed me because when I looked forward, I didn't just see a life of pain. And I was ready to live my life again at that point. Didn't know, I had no idea what was coming. None. Didn't know how, you know, hang on, it'll get better. In what way? I don't know. I'm as crazy, you know, five minutes after that event as I was five minutes before that event. But now I have a different outlook because he put something in my heart and it was starting to sprout. I don't care how bad life is for you right now. If you will seek him, then he will put hope and give you a vision for something new. And it's also, I will tell you, I was not seeking him. Well, then, brother, how did it do it? I had other people. One thing, I had had a mother that on her worst day hit her knees for me every day. And and thank God for praying mothers. Because most of us would be on our way to hell without a mother that prayed. Or a praying grandmother. Or a praying aunt. Somebody in, in, in your life. And if you have nobody in your family that believes in prayer... That's part of what tongues is for. Part of the reason it is so important, and people say, well, you know, tongues is just a side issue. Hogwash. And if I wasn't in the pulpit, I'd give you some stronger language than hogwash. It is vital to our spiritual existence because you don't know what you need to pray for. And when you pray in tongues, you may be praying for someone three-fourths of the way around the world who's sitting on their bed ready to commit suicide, and suddenly you pray hope in their heart, and you have no clue what you just did. You just know that God said, I need you to pray. So you start praying out and letting him use your voice, and then suddenly that lifts off you, and you say, okay, now I can go watch you know, Gilligan's Island or something. And suddenly somebody's life will be altered forever. And it won't be till maybe a thousand years into heaven. And you'll meet somebody on the street and they'll say, hey, thanks for praying for me. And you'll say, when did I pray for you? And you'll figure out that there were things that you did. But when you do that, he will make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. As, as bad as life can be, he will make a way for you to get through it. The children of Israel hit the desert. God never intended for them to spend 40 years in the desert eating manna and not having their clothes wear out. God supernaturally showed up, ministered to them, spoke to them. The tabernacle was there. They saw the smoke. They saw the pillar of fire. The manna showed up. When they griped real hard, quail showed up. You know, Moses spoke to them, and they were never once in the will of God. God wanted them to go through the wilderness and get to the promised land. Well, we need to quit camping in the wilderness and we need to walk the road and let the river in our desert uh, provide nourishment so our tree can start bearing fruit. But the, the difference is, and we looked at, at Psalm 1, you know, he said this man, that the, the blessed man is the man, he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. The difference between you and that tree planted by the rivers of the water, you can pull your roots up and walk away when you get tired of being planted by that river. And we all do it. Why? I don't know. Other than there's just a part of all of us that's just stupid. We all have that stupid gene, you know. And some of us try hard to outgrow it, but it's always there. But if, if we will stay planted in the river that we need to stay planted in is this river, the river of the Word. You need to be digging into this Word. You need to read the written Word. Go, go over to Hebrews for a second. Hebrews 4.11. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. That's what Paul's talking about. That's letting God make the decisions and not us. That's restful. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God 
is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When, when you need to know something, when you have a big decision to make, and this is a, I know Pastor Chuck's got this in counseling. Every pastor has had this question a gazillion times in, in um, counseling. How do I know the difference between what comes out of my head and what comes out of my heart? Right there. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. If you have a decision to make, you need to double up, triple up, quadruple up on reading the written Word. The Word will help you to discern between what's coming out of your spirit and what's coming out of your head. Because let's face it, there are a gazillion good things you can do. I don't know about you, but I, I get all kinds of offers to help ministries. Get them in the mail, get them on email. Get, you know, it's like sometimes you feel like they're floating down out of the heavens on parachutes. We have a need, can you sow? I've got more need than I've got finances to meet those needs. Always will be that way. Why? Because God hasn't called me to meet the needs of the world. Jesus already did that. But what I need to do is figure out from the Word and from my spirit, where do you want me to plant, Lord? Which, which ministries deserve my money? Which ones have you called me to get a part of? That ought to be part of our, our vision for 2016. Am I giving where you want me to give? It ought to be a regular thing. You should not. I, I just, let me be honest with you, like I'm never honest with you. Um, when you come in here and we receive an offering, if you just write out a check, throw it in the offering plate, you just might as well. For, for Now, the church will get blessed no matter how you give. But for you to give, give or get blessed from your giving, you have to give on purpose. You have to give in faith. You have to give because God said, this is where I have planted you and I want you to sow your life, which is what your finances represent. It's not the money. You trade your life for the money. When I worked at the school, I went in and I worked. I got there at 7 o'clock. I usually left around 4 o'clock. And then I went home and worked and worked on the weekends. And I gave up all of that time and all of that mental energy so that they would give me money. So when I looked at the paycheck and when I looked at the money in my bank account, it wasn't dollar bills I saw. I saw my sweat, my blood, my tears, my effort. And so when I wrote out a check, I sowed my life in my life into whatever I paid that check to. That's why it is so bad. That's why Paul said in, in Corinthians, don't worry about idols. Idols are nothing. But there is a spirit behind the idol that is everything. And if you sow to an idol, it's not that, you know, and let's face it, you'll find Buddhas all over this city. And I know people, every time they see a Buddha, they got to rub his belly. It's good luck. Well, you can rub the, the, the fur off a of Buddha's belly. It's not going to do anything for you. But if there is a spirit, if that Buddha literally, and, and there are places, it's the same way with these stupid psychics on TV and on 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 um, the internet, the best you're going to do when you call a psychic, and hopefully you're not that stupid to call a psychic, but if you do, the best case scenario, you're going to get a con man who knows how, or a con woman who knows how to twist what you say and manipulate money out of you. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, you actually get a hold of a true psychic who has a demon that tells them about things in your life. And suddenly you're not just losing money, but you're tapping into occult power and you've just given that devil permission to come torment you. Everything you sow money into, that potential is there. That's why it is important that we know what we're doing. Go to Colossians 1. 
Paul said this. This is Colossians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. Paul didn't do what he did because it was a good idea. Paul didn't become an apostle because he thought this would be a good thing to do. He did it because it was the will of God for his life. And it altered his life. But notice what Paul said. He, he, he founded the church at Colossae. He is the, the apostle to that church. He came, he preached, he started that church, and then he left and he went on to do two other things. Notice verse 2. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you. Paul didn't have anything that he could give to them except God's grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If, you're, if you don't have peace, you're probably not partaking of, of enough grace. Verse 3. We give thanks to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Again, this church prospered because Paul was praying for them. It's hard for you to prosper if you don't have things, people praying for you. And I'll be honest with you, if you need people to pray for you, how do you get people to pray for you? It's not by asking them to pray for you. It's by you getting on your knees and praying for other people. And then God will start sowing in the hearts of others to pray for you. Everything in the kingdom is seed time and harvest. You need something, sow it. You need prayer, start praying. You need a friend, be friendly. You need money, sow money. Whatever you need, you are going to have to give it out and sow it in faith. And then God has something to work with to bring it back to you. The great news is he just doesn't bring it back the same way you sowed it, he brings it back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over through the hands of men. Why we need each other. Then let's go on uh, verse 4. Well, let's read verse 3. It's all the same sentence. We give thanks to the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love, agape, for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before the, in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to us as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. Notice this, this pattern here. They, they heard the truth. Paul preached the gospel to them. And then they knew the truth. It's not enough to hear. You have to go from hearing to knowing. You have to, you have to, and the question is, what's the difference between hearing it and knowing it? What do you do with the knowledge that you hear? If, if you take it and you, you accept it and you put faith with it and you dwell on it and you meditate on it, that's why God told um, Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but ye shall meditate on it day and night. It, you, you, and I know you, everybody reads that, meditate on day and night. Do I never get to sleep? That's not what that means. That means you don't have any part of your life that you don't apply the word to. When you sit down and you're going to watch the, the, some TV, God, is there something here I shouldn't be watching? There's something here I'm going to partake of that's going to be harmful to me? And ask the Lord. <clears throat> I tell you, if we approached life that way, it would alter how we lived. But, but we have to know it. We have to make it ours. It has to become a truth to, to us. Notice Paul, Paul really started praying for them when he heard of their faith. Not when they got saved. Oh, I'm praying for, praying for my brother-in-law. I'm praying for my brother-in-law. He's going to get saved. He's going to get saved. And he gets saved and you quit praying for him. You just threw a Christian out in the arena and going to sit back and watch the lions eat him. When you pray for somebody into the kingdom, when they get into the kingdom, that's when you really need to start praying for them. That's when the discipleship work starts and that's when the hard work starts. That's when two weeks after they, they professed faith in Christ, they backslide and by backsliding, I don't mean they lost their salvation. I mean they start acting like they're back out in the world. And Christians usually say, well, they didn't get anything, you know, just 
Ah, they're just a sinner. You know, thought they got it, but they didn't. Now, that's when you start to have exercise some faith. No, Lord, I know they were sincere. I know they said that prayer. I know that they are your child, and devil, you don't have them. They're not yours, and you are going to back off of them. And then you really start doing some warfare. Then you really start praying and binding and loosening and, and praying the grace of God into their lives. Let's drop down to verse 9. For this reason, because of everything that Paul said, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and ask that you be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That word knowledge there is epinosis. Epi meaning above, gnosis meaning knowledge, meaning it's a superior knowledge. It's not a knowledge that you go and get a degree in. I mean, I know you can go get a degree in theology. I had a, a former pastor that um, um, I, I've shared his testimony here before. He got saved. He wanted to go into the ministry. He went to Lexington Theological Seminary, and by his own testimony, he, he estimated that fully half of the professors that he had in seminary had PhDs in theology and did not believe in the new birth. How in the world could you get a PhD in theology well, the devil has a Ph.D. in theology, several of them. He knows the Word, but he doesn't believe the Word. This, the knowledge that Paul's talking about here is a higher knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. It's not a knowledge that I read about in the book. It's a knowledge that I learned at the foot of the cross. It's a knowledge that I walked out, and I know it because I saw it work in my life today. I know it works because I, I prayed for somebody and laid hands on them, and I saw them get better. I was talking to Brianna, and, and I said, you know, it, it's, it's unusual. You dislocate your foot. You can't do that without swelling and without pain. Swelling and pain go with a dislocation just like wet goes with water. Well, then how in the world could you do it? And she was explaining how the doctor explained it. And I said, but what the doctor won't say? Oh, hallelujah, it's a miracle. Because right behind that, it's like he looks around and says, they're going to pull my, my, my license to practice medicine. They're only looking at the natural things. But you can have a dislocation that doesn't result in pain and doesn't result in swelling when you have a walking miracle. I remember the, the story that Brother Hagin used to talk about, the guy that fell off a rig out in the oil field, shattered his elbow. And the doctors told him, they said, Which, what position do you want it? Because... We can't repair it, and when it heals, it's going to be frozen forever. And for the next 20 years, the guy used his arm like there was nothing wrong, and they'd go take x-rays of it, and there are all these breaks and fractures and scars are there. And the doctor said, I don't understand this. You should not be able to use that arm. It, that elbow should not bend. And the guy, he said, and he asked the guy, he said, how do you explain it? He said, I don't. I just use it. That's experiential knowledge. That's the epinosis. It's a knowledge that supersedes natural knowledge. When the world says, you're sick, you're going to die, epinosis says, no, Jesus healed you, you're going to live. That's the higher knowledge. And that's what Paul said here in verse 9. I don't cease to pray for you that you get filled with this higher knowledge of His will, Jesus' will. Jesus' will is in His Word. He wants us to know what, he, what His will is for us in every circumstance. And I can guarantee you, almost every time, it's going to run completely counter to what the world says this situation will bring you. You want to you be a success in life? Get an education, get a good job, earn a lot of money, and life is going to be great. Yeah. Doesn't work that way. You can go, you want to meet the most miserable people and you want to meet some of the hardest people to reach with the gospel, go up to the rich part of town. The up and outers are harder to reach than the down and outers. The down and outers know they need help. They're willing. It's like, my God, I'm drowning. Will you throw me a rope? And when you preach the gospel to them, they say, hey, what do I have to lose? 
The up-and-outers are driving their BMWs and they got their five-car garage and their 20,000-foot house. They're miserable. Their kids aren't, aren't right. Their, their marriages are, are, you know, horrible. They're living under constant stress. They, you know, all they live for is to work and get more money and they don't even have time to um, uh, enjoy their money. I talked to a guy whose, whose wife was a doctor. She was making $450,000 a year. That was her base salary. She was a surgeon. And I said, what does she, what does she do to enjoy that money? He said, she never enjoys that money. She works 90 hours a week. She enjoys doing surgery. That's where she spends her time. Her son was a wreck. Didn't have a good relationship with her son because she was never home. She was saving a lot of lives, helping a lot of people, having fun doing what she loved, but the money wasn't her answer. Now, he, on the other hand, was loving life. He was saved. He was a cop. He made next to nothing compared to her. But he, he didn't, he, you know, if you look at the job, his was stressful. He got to deal with some of the undercurrent of the world. And yet, because he was a Christian, he got up looking forward to every day of his life. Didn't matter to him what kind of house he lived in. Didn't matter to him. None of the material things mattered. What mattered was what Jesus asked him to do. Now, when it comes to our vision, we need to have a vision for ourselves. We need to have a vision for our, our church. We need to have a vision, Pastor mentioned, we need to have a vision right now for our, our country. You know, I'll be honest with you. I read, um, and, and I, I read a lot. I'm a, I am a readaholic. That is my addiction. Um, if you know who Dana Perino is, she was, um, used to be the um, White House spokesman for George W. Bush. And um, she works on Fox News now. She's a political commentator. She, politics is her livelihood. She's immersed in it. And I read a column she wrote around Christmas time where she took a fast. She took a three-week fast from politics. And she said the first week she just about went crazy. She kept wanting to go to her phone and get on and check some things and wanted to turn on the news and see what's happening, you know, with this and that. And she just is like, no, I can't do it. No, I can't do it. She said, but after about a week of not living on that, she said, suddenly I just kind of calmed down and I began to relax. And life started looking a little brighter. And I read that and I thought, you know, I'm, I am a newsaholic too. I, my wife will tell you. I don't, I don't, I'm watching less of the news because, you know, when she knows when the news comes on, you know how you sometimes people will baby-proof a house? Well, my wife has to news-proof the house. When the news comes on, she takes all large objects that I can throw and moves them away from me so I don't throw them through our TV. I do yell at the TV, and I do talk to the idiots behind on the TV because she constantly sits over and says, you realize they can't hear you, and it's like I'm not saying it for their benefit. I'm just trying to vent the rage that's in me right now. But I, I come, when I read that, that, um, that column by her, it came to realize that I need to walk away from some of this stuff because I am getting so caught up with the personalities that I can't see, and I, I don't care who your, your favorite um, politician is, who your favorite candidate that's running for president is, to quote Harry Truman, None of them are worth a bucket of warm spit. When I look at who's running, the men, the women, I'm thinking there, we, there is no hope. We are going down the tubes. I don't want that to be the vision, my vision for my country. Because if, 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 if from my position, when I know how to operate in faith, if that's my vision... And I stay there, we don't have any hope. That's part of the reason the gospel say in the last days, people, you know, will, will there be any love found when Jesus comes back? It's because our love will grow cold because we're not looking at the right things. We're focusing on the natural. We're focusing on what people say and do and the natural leaders you know, somebody said the other day, um, you know, we, well, I think it was the president in the State of the Union, we need to learn to be civil with one another again. 
And he no more than got that out of his mouth. And I heard some guy on the radio who, who did this dramatization of political ads from when um, John Adams ran against uh, Thomas Jefferson. And believe me, our, our politics is pretty calm compared. I mean, these guys were calling each other names that I, can't, I won't say in the pulpit because I would probably be asked to just not come back. I mean, they were calling each other the filthiest, nastiest names. They were, they were, were, were talking about their, their parentage. I mean, it was horrible, the things they said about each other. Well, I don't want that. Our, our country has been successful not because we have had great leaders. Our country has been successful because we have, a, have had a majority of Christians in this country that prayed for our country and had a vision that our country was going to be the, the city, the shining city set on a hill and reach out to the rest of the world to share the gospel. God's blessing overcame the lousy leadership that we have had from day one. Amen. Uh, Proverbs 21.1, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord and the Lord will direct it wherever he wants it to go, just like rivers. Now, hearken back to Psalm 1. It's those rivers through the desert. Our country is a desert right now, but God will take the heart of the king. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not just talking about our president. That, that uh, verse will also apply to you. You are a king, you are a priest, and you need to let God take your heart and direct it and direct your vision for our country. And when you see, when you, when you think about our country and you pray about our country, quit saying that we're a messed up, you know, mess. Are we? Yes. Quite clearly we are. We have a lot of problems. But we even bigger than the problems is the epinosis, the, the superior knowledge that God says, I've still called you. I've still blessed you. And I'm ready to bless you. I'm ready to pour out my spirit on this country like it's never been poured out before. You're going ready to see revival like you've never seen before. And I'm, this country is going to be headed in the right direction, have a revival going on right before Jesus comes back and snatches us all out of here. And we're all going to go home and take a whole bunch of people with us. I've said it before. You look in prophecy, you never see the United States of America mentioned. And I really think the reason is when the rapture happens, there ain't going to be enough left to have a United States. We're going to depopulate this continent. I hope to God we do. We've got 318 million people. I'd love to see the day after the rapture, there's only 18 million left. I'd love to take, I'm going to cry if I get to heaven and there's only, there's 300 million left in the country and only 18 million of us got out. Then I'm, I, don't, I have no doubt that when I stand in front of Jesus, he's just going to shake his head and say, you're a sorry lot. Now, I don't think Jesus would say that, but my point is we need to have a vision bigger than what we see in the natural. For us personally, I want you to look at two, two verses. Let's look at John 7, verse 37 and, and 38. I want to try to wrap this up real quickly. If you believe that, i got some real estate we can talk about later. This is Jesus in John 7. He's standing up uh, right before he, he um, um, well, it's, it's at Passover. He says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, I qualify, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, King James says, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. I believe that's the Spirit of God. Jesus said, when you get born again, there, there will be a well spring up out of your belly. Well, that well is something I dip into for my personal use. But these rivers that flow out of my belly, rivers are not, wells are used to, to, to give nourishment and drink and, and refreshment to small groups. A, a village might have a well, but if you're going to supply water for a city, you better have a river and you better have a big river. If I'm going to supply refreshment to a large group of people, I've got to have a big river that comes out of my belly. And that, that the word there for belly means heart, it means the inward uh, being. 
I believe for us it's talking about a combination of our spirit and our soul. Because I need my soul in agreement with my spirit to have a river flow out of me. If my, if, if my spirit is saying, pray, and my head is saying, you lousy bum. There, there's, there's, you know, I'm a double-minded man and nothing that I'm going to do is going to amount to much. I need both of those in agreement to get my belly to, to flow out rivers of living water. Then go to Romans chapter 16. This is the countersign of that. This is the, the side of, of that principle when it's not working. Romans chapter 16 verse 17 and this is an admonition from Paul to the church at Rome. And keep in mind, when Paul wrote the, 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 his letter to the church at Rome, he had never been to Rome. He knew some of, the people, some of the Christians in Rome, but the book of Romans is Paul's letter of introduction. And he's not introducing, hey, I'm Paul of Tarsus, and here's, you know, so-and-so, that's my mom and dad, and here's my brothers, and this is where I got educated. He's saying, no, I'm Paul and I'm, I'm an apostle, and let me tell you what God showed me and what I believe. Paul's introduction was his faith. But in chapter 16 here, he's given an admonition. He says, now I urge you, brethren, note those, mark them. Remember, we, just, we started this back in Isaiah where God said, don't, don't mark these events. Well, Paul here is saying, I want you to know, note, put a check mark on these people, these types of people. Note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. There are some people that God's called you to minister to that you cannot fellowship with. There is a difference between the two. I can go, because alcohol is not a problem in my life, I can go into bars and I can minister to the people in the bar, but if they're not Christians... I can't fellowship with them. The teachers that I worked with never could understand why when they had holiday parties and had other parties, why I never showed up. And occasionally they'd ask, why don't you come to our parties? It's like because I don't want to go be around a bunch of drunks. That's not me anymore. At one time I would have said, yeah, I'm right there with you. Not now. I will talk to you. I will share my faith with you but I'm not going to go party with you. That's the difference. Mark these people and notice what he says. They cause division and offenses. Avoid those people. Verse 18, For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. He does not say they are not Christians. He said they're not serving the Lord. There is a difference. You can be a Christian and not be serving the Lord if you are caught. We would call that a carnal Christian. Someone who, and he describes why. But he says, they do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. Now, some of these people are not Christians. They're, they're uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. But sometimes it's sheep who have been hurt, been misinformed. Uh, I had a guy when, when I um, was getting ready to go to seminary, um, he had a degree in theology, and he said he knew I was facing uh, Greek classes, and I'm, you, you give Gina a new language and she, she brightens up. It's like, oh, joy, I get to learn something about a language. You give me a new language, and I start to frown, and the color drains out of my face, and it's like, oh, my God, I've got to go to purgatory again because I'm not great at languages. You give me math, I'm, I'll zip right through it. You give me languages, it's, it's hard. Well, he offered to help me get an introduction to my Greek class before I got to Greek class. So I went. It's like, you betcha, I'll be there. Once a week, we're going to meet. But it only took me, what, two weeks, three weeks? Not very long. And I realized our classes had nothing to do with learning Greek. They all had to do with the, some people in my church had introduced me to the charismatic mo movement and had... Uh, ministered to me and I'd started speaking in tongues and he was there to convince me that tongues was of the devil 
And it only took me a few weeks, and I said, look, brother, I really appreciate your offer, but I get the feeling that this is more about tongues than it is about Greek. He said, well, that's the devil's playground right there. And I said, I'm sorry, it's, you're too late. I've already dove, dove in that river, and I'm swimming, and I like it. It's changing me. So if that's your motivation, I don't think we need to meet anymore. And he didn't meet anymore. He was, he was only interested in, in following his pet um, theology, and he really wasn't interested in helping me. And my, my proof was when I said, I'm not going to give this up, the offer to help me in Greek somehow vanished. Now, I, I asked the question, well, why couldn't we differ on this, on this doctrine and you still teach me Greek? Because he didn't want to fellowship with me because I was one of those crazy charismatics. Guilty as charged. Now, what is the difference between having um, living water flow out of your belly, same word, both places, John um, 7, 38 and Romans uh, 16, 18, both King James, both of them talk about belly, same word. What's the difference? The difference is their source. The, the, in, in Romans, they're following their emotions, they're following their carnal mind, and, the, and, and really when you come down to it, it's the fruit. Jesus said you will know a tree by its fruit. If the fruit is division and offense, then you know this person is not flowing out of their spirit. If, if you've got out of your heart is flowing, um, out of your belly is flowing rivers of living water, if there are differences, you're going to smooth them over. I've got people, Christians that I know, that we disagree on more things theologically than we agree on. We have deep, profound differences in what we believe the Bible teaches. And yet I can fellowship with them. I can get along with them. We are in unity. Why? Because we know that song we sang after, during the offertory, it all comes down that I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. In fact, I've got a couple of them that we joke, you know. Brother, I know you, you, know, you don't believe in, in a pre-tribulation rapture, but on the way up, you're going to look over at me and say, John, you were right. Now, I'll be honest with you, when you're on the way up, you're not going to care anymore. You know, all of these things that we think are major distractions and divisions, when you get to heaven, you know, they just don't matter. You're going to be in the presence of Jesus, and, and the, the things that were so important down here, you won't even think to ask because they just won't matter anymore. But for now, I've got to check for me. And this isn't, and I'll be honest with you, this is a deception of the enemy that I can guarantee you with some of you right now, he's pulling off on you. And this comes down to the, we, we used to see it in the olden days when, you know, cartoons were in, they, they drew them in color, but they were always in black and white because there were no color TVs. You know, the, the, the little kid sitting there and he's got the, the, or the devil sitting on one shoulder and the angel with the halo sitting on the other shoulder. Well, some of you are sitting there thinking right now, boy, I wish so-and-so could hear this i may have to get the cd and give this to so-and-so they need to hear this if that thought went through your brain let me tell you this part of this sermon is for you and the devil's trying to distract you to think it's for someone else you need to listen to it and apply it because i guarantee you we all face this at one time or another we all do we, we sometimes we and this is part of what John rebuked us for in, the, in the, the epistles of John. He said, a spring should not flow sweet and then salty. But we all do. We have our good moments when we're flowing in the Spirit and we got rivers of living water coming out of us. And the next minute, there's rivers of salt water and we're sowing offenses and division. We just, and it's, to be honest with you, we need to, to learn to get over into John 7 and have the rivers of living water and forget about the, um, um, the salt water coming out. But for ourselves, we need to judge ourselves. You want to not be judged, then judge yourself. We do this, and I'm going to finish up with this. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
we, you need to live your life by this epinosis, this, this higher knowledge that Paul talked about in Colossians. But you're not going to have that higher knowledge be very evident in your life or in your circumstances. You're going to have, you're going to, have to take your circumstances which are screaming at you, pay attention to me, you're going to die, it's going to fail. You know, you heard this from the children of Israel. Well, Lord, did you just bring us out here in the desert where there are not enough graves in Egypt? You brought us out here to kill us and let us starve? Let us die of thirst? And you know, God just had to be shaking his head thinking, are they ever going to learn? Well, at least they had the excuse of not being born again, spirit-filled and tongue talkers and, or having the written word in front of them. What excuse do we have? None. But, but when your circumstances are screaming, it's not going to work. You need to, by faith, see God's promise. And putting your faith in God's promise and telling your circumstances, you're just going to have to get behind me. You're going to have to change. You don't have a choice. That's where it comes, verse 2, for by it, by this faith of things not seen, that's how the elders obtained a good testimony. Verse 3, for by faith we understand that the world's terrible translation, the Greek word there is aeon, which is everywhere else in the New Testament, is, is translated ages. The ages of the elders were transformed. They were framed. That means they were adjusted and they were knit together. They were framed up by the Word of God, the rhema, the revealed Word that God revealed to those elders. Every one of these elders, God showed up and God spoke something into their lives and it, they built their entire existence on that one Word. We've got more than one Word from God. We've got an entire Bible. But we need to dig in there and make that knowledge our knowledge and then frame our life according to that. If you want to have a vision for 2016, or if it's next year and you're looking at 17 or 18, however long before the Lord tarries, you're going to have to get in here. You're going to have to look. I'll give you a perfect example in Gina's in my life. You want to know what the world, what, what the world is saying to both of us right now? Your life is over. You're never going to teach again. She, this is what the devil's telling her and the devil's telling me. Your wife's just going to be on a couch potato for the rest of her life. She's going to walk from the couch to the, to the sink and be so out of breath that she can't do anything else for the rest of the day. That's it. That's your life. This is how it's going to be. It's never going to change. And in a few years, it's going to get even worse. She's just going to drop dead someday because, you know, of all the heart damage it's done. That's what we get to face every day and deal with because the devil is sitting there whispering that in our ears. It's not going to work. When, when she started having the heart attack, God gave me Psalm 118 verse 17. I shall not die or I shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. Now, if I buy into what the devil whispers in my ear now, it's the equivalent of the children of Israel saying, Lord, I know you, you promised me that she wasn't going to die and she was going to live, but, you know, she did. She made her through the heart attack and now she's going to die young. No, I've got to go back and reinforce my faith on what he said. He said two things. He said she's not going to die, she's going to live, but she's going to proclaim the works of the Lord. I'm looking forward to the second part now. That's where my vision is for us personally. I'm looking at myself. Come March, it's been 18 years. I was in her boots. I didn't have a cardiac arrest, but I had a, a, a massive heart attack. I couldn't go 10 steps. I had one trip down in our basement. It was where our family room was. One trip back up, and that was it. I'm in bed. i got to take a three-hour nap because I'm shot for the day. It's all I could do physically. My doctor said, you'll never work. You'll never mow your grass. You'll never be able to, to shovel snow. You're it. You're done. And when the doctor told me that, Gina was sitting across the, the office, and she's just smiling like a banshee. And the doctor said, why are you smiling? She said, you just threw meat in front of a hungry tiger. He's going to prove you wrong. And I said, you're right. Me and God are bigger than a heart attack. Me and God are bigger than... And for years, I, I, I claimed and believed that God was going to change my... I was going to go into my cardiologist someday, and they're going to read my EKG, and it's going to be normal. 
And I finally got to the point where I just don't care. So what if my EKG is never normal? It's like that guy that Brother Hagin talked about. He had all these fractures in his elbow, and the doctor said, you shouldn't be able to do this. I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. I shouldn't be able to work and do the things that I'm doing. I don't care. I'm doing them anyway. There are things that God's called you to do, and you look in the future and you say, I don't know how this can happen. So what? Do you think Moses saw how he could deliver the children of Israel and get them out of Egypt? Of course not. He just took it one step at a time, and God said, do this, and he said, okay. And he did it. And step by step and inch by inch, they got out of the kingdom of Egypt. They got over in the wilderness, and eventually they, the children of Israel made it into the promised land. They had to fight the entire way. Don't misunderstand me. When God gives you a vision, guess what? The fight is on. Just because, God, because God's given you a vision that something's going to happen does not mean it's going to be easy. In fact, it usually means that you're going to have to double up and start fighting in faith because the enemy is going to be right there to say, nope, I'm not going to let that happen. Not letting God win on this one. And if he can convince you to join his forces and agree with him and especially voice it out of your mouth, remember the enemy has no power, but he does have access to the most powerful weapon in your life, which is your tongue and your mouth and your faith. And if you start agreeing with him, guess what? You're going to see that vision get darker and see the reality, natural reality, get brighter and get harder. But if you will start declaring what God said, when you come into this church, do you see empty or do you see full by faith? Do you see dead or do you see alive by the grace of Jesus? <clears throat> how you see this church is how you will experience this church. When you walk in and you hear pastor preach or you hear me preach, do you come in thinking, wow, one more long, boring sermon i got to sit through? You might as well stay home and watch something on TV because you'll get more out of the TV than you will out of a sermon that you approach that way. You get out of a sermon what you put into the sermon. You want to get something out of pastor's sermons? Get up at 5 every Sunday morning and pray for him for about three hours. You spend from 6 to 9 praying for him that God will use him to, to speak into your life. And guess what? When you hit that pew... It's going to be alive. You're going to feel the buzzing. You're going to feel the electricity coming out, and God's going to speak to you. And, and it could be even one of these where, and I know he's had this happen. I've had it happen. I haven't met a pastor that hasn't had, hasn't have it, had it happened. It's easy for me to say. I haven't met anyone that hasn't had this happen where somebody comes up and said, man, you so blessed me in that sermon. Really, what exactly blessed you? And they will say something that they heard you say, and you will think, when did I say that? Wasn't in my notes. I don't remember saying it, but they heard it, and God changed their life with it. And I'm just saying, great, glad you got blessed. Must have been the Holy Ghost because it wasn't me. Who cares as long as it works? But we need to frame our lives. We need to get a vision for our personal life, for our church life, for our, our nation, and we need to start putting that before our eyes and speaking that. And when circumstances just get up and smack you and knock you down, you need to get up and say, I don't care. I've been down before. It's easy. You just get back up and you put your... And when you find yourself, you're over here and you're talking doubt and unbelief and you're crying, you're thinking, it's never going to work out. And suddenly you wake up and you're over here in the midst of that river of muck. And Jesus says, what are you doing over here? Well, I don't know. You run to 1 John 1, 9. Remember, 1 John 1, 9, when you go to ask forgiveness for sins, it's not, for most Christians, it's not drinking, smoking, cussing, and carousing. It's getting over here in the muck of the mire and speaking doubt and unbelief in your life. That's the most dangerous sin you'll ever encounter. The most dangerous. Much more da dangerous than alcohol or drugs. It's just having a bad vision for what God wants in your life. And when you find yourself there, you say, oh, God, forgive me. Forgive me. I'm going to get back over here. I know what you said. I know you said 2016 was going to be a better year. 
Well, I'm believing for it. And then you need to say, well, how's it going to be better? Give me some specifics that I can start believing for. And guess what? He will do it if you ask him. Amen? But you're going to have to, it's, it, it's going to require something of you to do that. It, does, it just doesn't fall on you because you're a Christian. The only thing that falls on you because you are a Christian is the devil trying to steal, kill, and destroy. That just comes whether you want it or not. But the, the life and that more abundantly, Jesus has made it available it's there, but you have to step out and start tapping into it by faith. And if you don't tap into it by faith, guess what? It's probably not going to happen unless God needs something to happen to bless somebody else. And I don't, I don't want, you know, I don't want to live my life needing the miraculous from God. I want to live my faith by, or my life by faith getting it here a little, there a little, and when I turn around and I look back, I think, wow, some big changes happened in my life. How did they happen? Because I believed in the little steps. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.